Okay. A couple of things. A couple of dates to put on your church calendar. And we haven't announced these yet because of the uncertainty surrounding the, the turnover. And we've been told, as you've heard, that Del Nor Construction is saying that by the end of February, we should be able to turn the building over. But then deficiencies and occupancy with the city and those things. But, but I, I thought, you know what, we should, actually it's my wife that thought, uh, we, we should give you these dates so that they're on your calendar because they're exciting dates. December 31st. Easter Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there was, you had some support. December? March 31st. Easter Sunday. Um, it's the end of spring break, so if you're going away for spring break, hopefully you can be back for this Sunday. We're calling it Celebration Sunday. If you're going to invite a friend who said... I'd love to see inside what's going on there. This is the Sunday to do it. Any Sunday, invite friends, of course. But what better Sunday than Easter Sunday? And hopefully we have a couple of Sundays prior to that in the new auditorium to work out the, 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 the kinks and what have you, but March 31st. And then April 21st, dedication Sunday. It's not going to be a separate Afternoon service, like maybe some of us in our past are used to. We're incorporating it into the morning gathering. Our district superintendent, Pastor Gary Tatinger, will be with us. And there will be a responsive time of uh, congregational dedication of that new facility for God's purposes. And that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, our mayor has agreed to come and uh, share a few comments. So it's going to be a special Sunday with uh, a complimentary lunch after. So keep that on your radar and put those dates in your calendar. So we're picking up in our Gospel of John series where Pastor John left off way back in December 17th, on December 17th. And if you missed any of the ser uh, sermons in this series, you can catch up, of course, by going to the Eaglemont Church YouTube channel, and we can track together in this amazing narrative of the, of the life and ministry of Jesus. So let's open our hearts to God. Father, we just pray right now that your powerful word that we love would change us and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message, I am second. Coming in second, it's not fun, is it? Especially if you have uh, even a thread of competitiveness in you like, like I do. I mean, watch the team that plays in the uh, hockey, the gold medal game at, uh, in hockey at the, at the Olympics, and they win silver. They're not happy. It, there's a reason it's never been called the silver medal game. The teams, they're, they're focused on the gold. And so when they get the silver, second is not fun. They're not focused on the silver that is a nice medal that they got. They're focused on the gold that they lost. I am second. 
Well, in this passage today, John 3, 22 to 36, uh, Andrea is going to read our passage this morning. So if you have a New Living Translation or on your Bible app, maybe you version, if you don't have one, I would recommend that free app to you. But you can follow along on the screen as Andrea comes now to read the scripture passage for this morning. Thanks, Andrea, for doing that. Reads. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Thank you for reading the scripture for us today, Andrea. I really appreciate that. So, as you heard and read, this passage launches with a reference to lots of baptizing. It's a good thing. People wanted to, uh, to express publicly their, their desire and their commitment to follow God. It's fantastic. And these baptisms were happening at various places along the Jordan River that connected the Sea of Galilee in the north down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea in the south. And we read that Jesus was baptizing in the Judean countryside around Jerusalem, uh, just, just to the west of uh, the Dead Sea. And uh, John was baptizing near a place, uh, near a place called Salem, verse 23 says, because there was plenty of water there. Interesting comment, uh, which points to, uh, as, as, as many of you know, the mode of baptism that we see consistently in the New Testament of baptism by immersion, that, that is the only mode that fully uh, pictures, symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Until John the Baptist was Put in prison by Herod, his ministry overlapped with the ministry of Jesus as, as Jesus was bursting onto the scene. And we already read, uh, Andrea did, verse 26, but listen to it again. John's disciples, the, the followers of John the Baptist, um, uh, came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah. You got to read earlier in John for that. He's also baptizing people and everybody, you could just 
You get to see it, hey? And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. <laughs> How junior high of them? Sorry, junior high. Not Eaglemont junior hires, but some. I mean, really. First of all, what they said wasn't even true. Remember verse, uh, what verse 23 detailed about, about John the Baptist's ministry. People kept coming to him for baptism, John wrote. And then just two verses later, his disciples are complaining to John the Baptist that everybody is going to Jesus instead of coming to us. Let, let me say this, one comment about, about that. Inappropriate competition breeds a blurry perspective. You can think of situations in your own life, I'm sure, where that is true. And that's certainly true here. Inappropriate competition breeds a blurry perspective. And they had, John the Baptist's disciples had a blurry perspective. If you've ever been around, or if you've been around church for any length of time, you likely already know that there can be a spirit of competition between churches. At times. Sadly true. And I'm referring to churches that, that are solidly biblical. Starting to compare, to compete. Could be the people in the church or a subset of people in the church. Could be the leadership in the church. Being faithful to the gospel and the declaration of it is what matters most. But there can be, there can be gospel-focused churches that, that oh, each have differences in some secondary things like uh, worship style or what method they may use to declare the gospel with, without changing the message, of course. But, but they can still get caught up. We can still get caught up, let's say, in... A, a, a spirit of competition, and it's, it's not helpful, and it's wrong. You know that. Verse 27, we see John's response to his concerned friends who see that they're starting to trail behind Jesus. How terrible. <laughs> wow, this just blows me away. But you know what? we got to be careful, don't we? As I say that, I didn't pre-think that, and the Spirit of God challenging me right here and right now, actually. Don't always put, it, you know, put the judgment on the, the people in the Bible. Marlo, you're made of the same stuff, right? So I may well have responded the very same way. They're all concerned because they saw Jesus' influence growing and, and, and John the Baptist's waning, and they wanted their leader, whom they knew and loved, to know that they noticed this. <laughs> now, do you think it would have been easy for John the Baptist to to begin to listen to these comments and, and maybe easy for him to begin to think himself, yeah, you, you got a point. He could have quite easily begun, I think, to feel that he was being unjustly forgotten. You see, sometimes, and you, you may be able to identify times in your own life when this was true, that, that, that sometimes a friend's sympathy can be an enemy to the purity of our heart. With the wrong type of input, it can be all too easy to spiral into self-pity. And, and before you know it, you're the victim. And in danger of being overtaken by the spiritual poison, really, of, of bitterness and resentment. Be, be sure you listen 
to the right input, to godly input, to, to input that's filtered through the powerful word of God. But John the Baptist didn't go that direction because he, he possessed a, a godly character, and that's referenced elsewhere in, in the gospel. That, that helped him keep a humble, a humble heart and a humble attitude. And that showed in his response, verse 27. No one, he said, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. In other words, you know, what, what, what are you worried about? What, what happens? He's saying to his, his disciples, what happens in either camp, if you will, is up to God. And whatever influence there is or isn't is determined by God and given by God. And God doesn't owe me anything, was John the Baptist's posture. Said, Come on, guys. I mean, John, John the Baptist is exemplary here. And this attitude and, and, and posture is uh, applicable and, and vital in, in every area of our life. You notice that I keep saying John the Baptist to be sure there's no confusion between him and the writer of this gospel who is also named John, uh, right? The writer, the author of John's gospel is John the Disciple who also uh, wrote under God's direction, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation as well. Two different people, just to clarify in case, uh, uh, in case you were wondering. It's apparent that a 10-time NBA all-star, David Robinson, believes in this statement that John the Baptist made. No one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. It's not unusual uh, to hear professional athletes who are, who are genuine Christ followers say something like Robinson said years ago. He said, I can run, I can jump, I can block, I can dunk. I mean, I really got it going on. He, he didn't say that, but he can do all those things amazingly as he, as he could. But then he said, but I can't take pride in that. I'm successful because God gave me the ability. It comes from God. And that applies to whatever gifting you may excel at. Great, great recognition. And if I were preaching this passage to a bunch of pastors, I'd have to ask them this question, as I've asked it to myself in times of self-evaluation. Are you more concerned about people coming to Christ or people coming to your church? It better be all about people coming to Christ. In Paul met. Metzger's uh, T-Z-G if you can pronounce that um, in his excellent little uh, I got a paperback commentary on, on the gospel of John in, in that there, he refers to an old movie about the life of Elvis that portrays the time when the so-called king of rock and roll had been out of commission for a time and now was getting back onto the big stage, but was hearing reports that the Beatles' fame at that time was eclipsing his own. I'm not going to take a vote who you like more, but anyway. Um, apparently, Elvis didn't handle that news very well. Although he, he could have realized that he was in pretty good company because it was around the same time that John Lennon, as many of you know, had, had declared that the, the Beatles uh, had become more popular than Jesus. Funny. Not funny. Striving to be at the top in popularity seems to be something that human beings have Always done. Celebrities, school athletes, those who excel at academics, moving up the ladder in the workplace quickly. And, and none of those things are necessarily wrong or bad. Obviously, 
But when, when, when you'll do anything to get to the top, or you'll do anything so that you're perceived as the best, it becomes spiritually toxic to our hearts and to our relationships. How do you respond when someone else's star is getting brighter and yours is fading in a situation like that, whatever that might be, whatever, whatever that might mean for you? How do you, how do you respond inwardly, outwardly? I mean, put yourself in John the Baptist's shoes. Sandals, probably, more true. Um, his, his disciples bring this to his attention, thinking they're telling him something uh, that he didn't know. Rabbi, we're starting to lag behind Jesus in the polls. He's getting more popular than us. <laughs> wow. Again, talk, talk about missing the point. Sad. John the Baptist knew this time would come, and he was completely okay with it. As a matter of fact, he had signed up for the role of directing people's attention to Jesus, right? We know that. Who was his cousin, by the way? Remember? <laughs> Which, I don't know, I, I think makes this even more amazing because competition in family can often be even more intense. Way to go, John the Baptist. John the Baptist replied to his concerned disciples, reminding them of what he had plainly told them before, but would have to say it again, and he did. Verse 28, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was there to serve Jesus and the purpose for which Jesus had come. And he was totally okay with the I am second position, posture, and place. Cool. How do you do when you're second? I play recreational hockey Monday night. No refs, just a group of guys, a bunch of protective services guys. Leduc, it's great. No one laces up to lose, including myself. Ah, we don't get angry at each other. How do you do when you, when you don't win? How do you do when you're, when you're second or, or third or fourth? If that's where God has you at this stage of your life in some area, how, how are you doing with that? Are you chafing at that? Are you, are you undermining your supervisor or, or the project team lead that your boss put in place instead of you and you've been around longer? How are you doing with that? Students, are, are, how are you, are you, are you passive aggressively making it difficult for, the, for, for your teammate who got the C on their jersey when you thought you deserved it more? How are, you, how are you doing in second place, third place, fourth place? As a representative of Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, how are, you, how, are you, how are you doing with that? And again, John the Baptist is a great example for us when we feel this way or when we struggle with the I am second situations in life. 
And, and I'm, it, it may feel like I'm parking on this. Very perceptive of you. I felt, I felt we needed this. I felt, I felt prompted, I, I believe. I believe this is a needed biblical reminder because, because the I am second way of living. I mean, there's so many scenarios that that can be plugged into and, and, and you know, we work to flesh it out in a Christ-honoring way for sure. But un, under Jesus' lordship, it, even under Jesus' lordship, doesn't, when we're submission, when we got a heart of submission and surrender and humility, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't always come easy. It doesn't mean when it feels good at a certain time and I'm living out a great representation of Christ in that situation. It doesn't mean in the future, for whatever reason, I might not have my struggles with it again. How are you doing with I am second? In verse 29, John uses an illustration to explain to his disciples that he is completely content with his God-given role. And they should be too. He says, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Hopefully, if you had single friends when you got married, you had this kind of friend. I mean, interesting illustration John pulls in here. It's, it's the best man who, who wants to be married and isn't yet, but is still a great and supportive friend. Genuinely excited about the joy that his friend, the groom, is experiencing in getting married to the beautiful bride. That, that's cool. In the various areas of our lives, can we say like John the Baptist did about Jesus, verse 29 of the passage, I am filled with joy at his success. What a statement. And again, a statement that's so applicable in many situations and relationships in our lives. Being happy for others when they're successful. What a, what a great and Christ-honoring character quality. Can, can you be happy for, for a friend when her business is succeeding and yours is just struggling? Or can you be happy for your friend or your classmate who, who didn't study much and you studied a ton and they got a way better mark? I can relate to that in high school. Well, not the study hard part, but <laughs> kids don't, I, forget it, don't, study hard, study hard. Can you, be, can you be happy for your friend who boarded an airplane a week and a half ago to go on a Caribbean cruise as we hit the deep freeze? Oh, we know that's a whole other thing, right? What does it mean to live the I am second life? It's really a discipline of choice to be joyful for others in their success. But if you're filled with pride, you won't be able to take joy in someone else's success because you'll crave that success to keep your ego inflated. You'll just, you'll just need it to be you. And that'll keep you stuck in self-pity, in shrinking influence, and in the, the, the sludge of resentment and bitterness. 
And all of these stem from pride. There's a a reason why God speaks so harshly against pride in our lives in the Bible. Firstly, of course, because it's the sin that caused the beautiful angel, Lucifer, read Isaiah 14, uh, to, to, to fall and become God's arch enemy because pride, pride entered his heart. God hates pride. And so it's no surprise that God hates pride in us. Because he knows what it can do to us, and he loves us too much to see that happen. There's a Greek word in the New Testament. I can remember my Bible college prof with animation talking about this, because just the word is just neat to say. Fusio. That's the Greek word. Take that home. That'll change your life. Fusio. You'll see it translated as arrogance, pride in the Bible. But literally, and you'll see this in some translations, literally means puffed up. (laughs) Puffed up. Fusio. If we're puffed up, we we won't be able to, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. If we're puffed up, we won't be able to it won't come easy for us to, to, to compliment other people. If, if we're puffed up, we'll crave the accolades and recognition that others may be getting. I mean, the list goes on of sad realities that probably all of us, that, that let me say all of us, have lived to varying degrees in different ways for sure, but I think at times in our life. I mean, there are just no good outcomes if we've allowed pride to take root in our heart. And if we have not repented of pride, we will never be able to say what John the Baptist said in verse 30. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. New King James puts it succinctly. Uh, he must increase, and I, but I must decrease. What does that look like? That's us. In- increasingly coming under the loving lordship of Jesus and and, and willing to live the I am second life. When when John spoke those words, I must uh, must decrease, they they displayed a a, a clear, clear comprehension of who Jesus was and and who he needed to be, who who John needed to be in relation to Jesus so that he could experience the, the, the full joy and freedom that comes with being a Christ follower. And the same applies for us who are Christ followers today, keeping free from being puffed up. It's a a surrendering to the word. It's a surrendering to Jesus, of course. It's a dying to self that brings the outcome of truly living. It's coming under the the presence and power and, and leadership of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us if we've submitted to Christ. We've got resources to do this, friends. We do. And we journey together, hopefully sharing the challenges with one another in a context of trusting, loving, grace-filled relationships in the body. We've got the resources to live the I am second way of life because it brings honor to God and it'll get people's attention for the gospel of Jesus. So how can we grow at living this way? 
Of course, the daily engagement of, of, of God's word under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. But here are a couple takeaway questions as we close to prayerfully ponder this week. I, I'm going to ask you to do that. Write these down or take a picture of the, of the screen. Takeaway questions to ponder that I believe will help move the, move the ball down the field in our lives. One, where is it? Just ask yourself simply. Ask the Holy Spirit to point it out to you even better. Where is it in your life that Jesus needs to increase and you need to, to decrease? Where? In, in, in what areas? In what area? Pick one. Maybe there's just one. If there's none... I'd love to talk to you and learn from you. So please catch me later. Where is it in your life that Jesus needs to increase and you need to decrease? Okay? And follow-up question that is the action part here. This is your homework, by the way. How will you make that happen? Uh, You know what I mean by that. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us. But we have to engage with the Holy Spirit and take some steps and do some things, and, and, and choose surrender in that area. You, you understand what I'm saying. What, what steps will you take to see the balance shift toward Jesus increasing and you decreasing? I, I, I want to I just close by praying into this for all of us right now, okay? That's your desire. Join with me in your hearts in prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you, we do, we ask you to lead us in response to these two simple questions. Help us to be open to the whisper of your spirit, to the, to, to the truth written in your Bible for us in these things. Where and how can we see growth in being second under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Guide us in the responses to those questions. And I hope you'll write down what you hear in response to those questions. And it might take prayerfully pondering into the days ahead, but what you first hear, oh, is it possible it could be your thought? Just your thought? Might be a good thought to act on even. But don't shy away from the fact that the Holy Spirit just maybe planted that thought right there. That's his voice. That's his whisper. (laughs) Lining it up with Scripture, of course. As we close, a quick reference to verse 36. A very important verse if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Verse 36, the first part of it. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Wow. And, And belief here implies surrender. And later in the same gospel of John, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And then in another verse, a few chapters later in the same gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. Now, you have to decide, is that an arrogant statement? Or is Jesus really God and the credentials of his life and resurrection prove that he can say that? I am the way. Not, not a way of many. You'll hear that in culture, right? It's not true. It's just not true. Jesus' words, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We come to Christ. He, we ask him to be the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our life. We surrender. We turn from our sin. We repent. We turn to God's way of living. If that's what you want to do, you can pray a simple prayer like this and say, Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth to go to the cross, to die. Thank you that you rose from the dead. You died for me and took my penalty of sin there on the cross. Thank you. Thank you for that. I give you my life. I repent and I confess my sin to you. Cleanse me of it. Thank you for your powerful cleansing in my heart and mind. I surrender to you. Please forgive me. Please lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what? If you prayed along with me, it's not about the words. God knows your heart. Let us know. We'd love to journey with you and walk with you and encourage you. Um, there's the I'm new card. that you, If you prayed that this morning, to fill that out and put that in the welcome kiosk at the back. There's a slot on the top. Uh, by the exit doors there, or the QR code you can scan online uh, or, or here in person that will bring up the form that will allow you to give us uh, that great news that you gave your life to Christ today. God bless you for opening your heart to God's word. Pastor Brennan.